Hey everyone, welcome to episode 7 of the New You Show. I'm your host Chuck. Today we are blessed to have an opportunity sitting down with Miss Shalom McNeil Cooper. Ms. Shalom joins us from the UK and she will be speaking about the spiritual aspect of bettering ourselves and our position in life. Before you automatically think, oh my gosh, we're about to get a bunch of organized religion thrown down our throats, that is not it at all. Ms. Shalom has studied faith and religion along with spirituality of many types throughout the world. She's taken all that, put it together along with her experiences in life to reach out to others in the hopes of helping them better themselves and their positions in life. She's going to tell her story, speak her truth, and hopefully you guys will be able to pick out many different spiritual aspects of bettering yourselves. So if you guys are ready, let's dive in. So, like I stated, we are here with Miss Shalom. Shalom, welcome to the New You Show. Thank you. It's uh, great to be here. It's awesome to have. This is now my second international guest, and we do appreciate you guys working with us as far as time zones and everything like that. But I, I, I know that you feel. Hopefully. All right. I feel that you feel that this is very important for us to share with our our listeners. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter where you are or who you are or whatever. If you have a story to tell, you want to speak your truth and, you know, you, you think that our listeners can learn some things from it, then we're all about it, you know, so. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and for yes. you for getting up so early to record this. Ah, what well, what is early, right? It's just time, exactly. but time time is part of life, and when you can make the best of it, well, then you take the opportunity. It doesn't matter if the social construction tells you that you're supposed to be sleeping right now. Well, you know what? My body's telling me get up and live life. You know, and and that's that's what I'm looking forward to doing with you today. So, uh, for our guests that or our guests, our listeners that are not familiar with you. Uh, can you share a little bit about yourself? Get sure. them. Absolutely. So um, I am actually an ordained minister with the Methodist Church of Great Britain. And what I um, am speaking with you today, I'm going to be sharing my own story, uh, but I don't represent any particular denomination. This is very much my own life journey and how I've kind of arrived at where I have. Um, I've been in some sort of paid accountable ministry, uh, both in Canada and the UK and Scotland for about 20 years. And I've been ordained for two, uh, but I've been involved in some sort of construct of um, religious thought <laughs> for for quite some time. And um, I, live, I live here in the UK now where I am in a partner ministry with 12 churches. Um, and I've got a, a ministerial partner, so um, we have oversight of of twelve churches um, in a rural area of England. Oh, that's 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 awesome. That's quite a bit of responsibility, but I'm sure 
the benefits out outweigh the uh, the the time, the effort, the positive outweigh the negative when you have so many positive responsibilities um, put on your plate. Thanks. It's it's a journey. It's hard. We you know the ministry is uh, not about pretty pretty vestments and. Uh, you know, fluffy things. It's about the real hard nitty gritty aspects of life and, and, and meeting people where they're at. Um, those who are in church, those who are not in church, those who are on a path, those who are seeking a path, those who had a path and are no longer on it. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a privilege really. And, um, and I, speaking of privilege, I just like to say that, um, Again, thank you for having me on. And a lot of what we'll talk about a bit later, I'd just like to remind listeners um, and perhaps be open to the possibility that these kinds of conversations and what we explore here is a privilege. A spiritual path, a discernment is a privilege because there are many in this world who are not afforded the luxuries to be able to contemplate a spiritual path, to be able to contemplate who God is or what God is because of their circumstances of living, whether that be uh, in a, in a, you know, a, a war zone or a zone of crisis or, you know, working conditions. We do, we do know that within the world that there are companies and organizations that do exploit workers and they're very much in a survival mode. So, I don't take for granted that this spiritual path that I'm on is very much one of privilege. And I've come to that conclusion because of the spiritual path I'm on. Um, and so, you know, when, when we're talking about these things, remembering that there are those in this world in developing countries who are really in survival mode and don't have the luxury of philosophical reasoning or, um, have access to any of the things that we do here. So I'd just like to invite listeners to, to reflect on the privilege that we have on this journey as well. Well, absolutely. You know, and I was reached out to by one of our listeners the other day and they shared that they just didn't realize how okay they were with a healing process until they heard another, you know, one of our guests discussing it. And they, both the guest and the listener that reached out to me, both Americans and uh, America fr uh, prides itself on, on freedom of pretty much everything, right? Um, however, it's that, that privilege within yourself also to be able to practice a, a process or practice or study a certain religion or whatever that that's the freedom that comes from within you and, and i honestly think that's the ultimate freedom that we all have however in a lot of places to your point it is very <clears throat> restricted whether it be because they're in a war-torn environment whether it's just you know their their family's uh, heritage and, and and beliefs and everything you know for for someone individually 
in, in certain places to go outside of what the family's religion or family's faith or family's belief process is. I mean, you can, as a family member, you can be killed. Yeah. And that is what I, I'll, I'll say many don't fully grasp is how precious the the opportunity to not only practice but even hear yeah. about faith in in, in other realms mm -hmm. uh, just how much of a blessing that really is and to be able to have access to books i mean china has an official government bible in which it's been severely redacted so those who even do get access to the bible quote unquote they have to receive the official government copy of the Bible, which is missing several passages that have anything to do with, you know, uh, political issues. Uh, and let's face it, the, the you know, the, the Hebrew Testament and the Christian Testament both have a, a heavily, um, you know, there, there are heavy threads uh, woven throughout there about politics Um and, you know, we can't take for granted that we do have access to to a, a number of texts from many, many faiths and religions. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm just thinking of, you know, those who are working in factories and, um, you know, our children and um, people who really don't have the luxury, the freedom within themselves. Um, and, and I take a lot of this because um, I also did a lot of Holocaust education. And one of the questions that comes up frequently with people who've been um, in, in camps, they say, you know, why didn't you revolt? Why didn't you rise up? And all of them said, we, we were in survival mode. You, you lose an aspect of your humanity. You're dehumanized to the point where you cannot reason, where you cannot even think about anything other than where the next breadcrumb is going to come from. And so when I, you know, when I mean privilege as well, that that's influenced by hearing a lot of these testimonies from um, you know, people in, in Hashoa who have survived. Um, and, you know, every time I open up a, a book to study or contemplate or whatever, I don't take those liberties for granted. Um, it is a privilege and within yourself to be able to do that. Well, ab absolutely. And, and, and I know in certain circles, if you will, privilege is looked at as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. However, if you have the privilege and, and i'm talking the textbook privilege mm -hmm. of learning more about something or teaching more if you have that privilege then recognize it as a privilege and utilize it to not only better yourself mm -hmm. but disseminate what you can to others to enable them not to make them but enable them tools knowledge education books true true nonfiction. you know i i have a young stud and 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 he's he's seven and he said daddy we uh we learned about the difference between fiction and nonfiction in school i was like man that's rad that, that's really cool so tell me about it and, and and he was and i said well what happens if you put a little bit of fiction right in the middle of all nonfiction, he goes 
Well, then it just becomes a lie, Dad. And I was like, my man, exactly. Because like like what you were discussing, there there are certain places. And we've had conversations about great books that have a very powerful, beautiful message that have just been bastardized by the civilizations that utilize it for propaganda, manipulation, control, greed, money, power, all that um, to, to get their point across. And what one of one of the things that 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 I loved learning about you is that, well, for one, you love learning, which, which is that that's that's awesome. I, I'm a firm believer that if you're not learning, you're not living. But also that you may know a thing or two about some other religions outside of the Christian religion, too. Yeah, I do. So, um, if you wanted to share a little bit about that, I, I think that'd be awesome. Sure. So, um, well, I'll, I'll kind of reverse a bit back up about how that kind of came to be. So I um, grew up in Atlantic Canada and I lived for a period of time where my mother was from. And then I lived a period of time where my father was from and I was always the outsider. I was never an insider. I was always from away. I always had the wrong accent. I always had the wrong clothes. So I was very much an outsider. Um, so, you know, friends and family were kind of really important to me. And I started, um, despite my name being a Hebrew name, I was actually uh, raised Christian. And uh, as far as I know, we we don't have any Jewish heritage in my family. There's a story to my name, but we can get to that a bit later if you'd like. Um, and so um, I did go to Sunday school. Um, I went to church. I, I, I disliked Sunday school. I thought Sunday school was a waste of time. And I thought, why am I sitting here coloring, you know, the rainbow from Noah's Ark? I know this story. And I was just not enriched in Sunday school. And I would leave the Sunday school and I would go back into the church and I would sit there. And I would listen and I would pray. And so it was kind of inherent. I kind of listened to all these things anyhow. So where I was raised, predominantly Irish, Scottish, English, um, you know, generational people, white. Um, I remember meeting the first ever black person that I ever laid eyes on, who was a professor at our local university. And so I was raised very much in a, in a, in a world where it was Christians and it wasn't just Christians. It was Protestants versus Catholics. Right. And I was raised in a Protestant tradition. So there was this kind of inherited um, kind of, you know, trope of we're Protestant, they're Catholic. And I had a lot of Catholic friends so that kind of introduced me to the other side, right? Like talking Absolutely. to these people, like, what do you actually believe? Like, what is this about? And, you know, I did hit a few bumps in the road in terms of, you know, that divide. One of my very good friends was Catholic and wanted me to be her bridesmaid and the priest wouldn't allow her. And then when it came to her having children, she wanted me to be godparent, but the priest wouldn't allow her, despite the fact that, you know, I was a Christian youth rep for church and I served the church at various levels. And I just thought, right, what's this divide really all about? So as I kind of got older and I... I moved actually to a larger city and still predominantly white Christians or Christians in name, uh, not necessarily practicing. And 
started, you know, hearing little things here and there about different forms of Christianity. So I kind of started to explore that as well. You know, um, at my university, I went to an evangelical Catholic thing, uh, which was fantastic and wonderful. Um, Went went to different kind of events at, at university. And I continued on with university and then I moved to Ottawa in Ontario, which is Canada's nation's capital. And whilst I was in a different university studying something else, um, I worked at a car rental company and I worked various shifts at the car rental company. In the morning, I mostly worked with Latinos, Latinas, Latinx people from various um countries. And I got to learn a lot about how they express their faith. But the evening shift, I worked with a lot of Muslims, like a lot of Muslims. And over time, you know, you become friends with people and they would stop work and they would have their prayers, right? So their five daily prayers. Um, And they, they would stop work to do their prayers. And, you know, they had to have a dry mat and I never encountered Islam before ever. So I just started talking to people and saying, right, so, so what are you praying? What's, what's happening here? And then I would get invited to people's homes for various Eids and, um, you know, Ramadan. Somebody's mother would bring me in extra food and I would fast with them because I thought it's not fair for me to eat when they're fasting all day. And especially if Ramadan's in summer when it's really long and just asking questions. And I thought this is very interesting to me. A little bit later on, I really started feeling the pull to the call to ministry, and I ended up going to what I called a God school, and I didn't know the God school existed. I was halfway through another degree because I wanted to study archaeology, and um, I just really thought, wait a minute, there's a God school in my city? What's this about? So after I had written all my exams for that semester in December, And I was one semester away from graduating from this other university. I went to the God school and it turns out it was a Catholic, formerly Catholic university. And I picked up all these pamphlets and I looked at all these courses and I thought, oh man, I'm in the wrong place. So I went home, I enrolled in the school. I left my other degree behind. And then I started, I was really in over my head. I mean, I had no clue what any of the words meant. I didn't know anything about anything. I mean, I was lost at sea at this school. And I thought, I've made the biggest mistake of my life. I I don't even know what the Pentateuch is, yet I'm taking a course called the Pentateuch. What is this? I, I mean, completely clueless. Whilst I was there, I met Christians from all kinds of different traditions, Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian Catholic, Marianite Catholic. And I met some Jewish people and I met some more Muslims and I just started talking to them and I started reading out of interest, not out of needing to take a test or write an essay. Um, And then I became, um, my my focus then became something called exegesis, which is a a very in-depth study. And I studied the Hebrew Testament because I wanted to understand Judaism more. I wanted to understand the the context from which Judaism came so that I could understand my Christian faith a bit better. And whilst I was at that school, there were a number of people that were training to be priests in the Roman Catholic tradition. I saw so many people 
walk out that door because they cracked, literally. They could not reconcile the academic study of the Christian tradition scriptures and the Hebrew Testament with their faith. And I remember one of these priests teaching us, he said, you have to leave it your faith at the door. And I thought, no, I don't need to leave my faith at the door. There's room in this conversation for me to approach these texts from a spiritual perspective and an intellectual perspective. And I think a lot of my story and maybe what we'll get into a bit later is moving that from the realm of the intellectual, because I think when we're on this spiritual journey, it starts off in the realm of the intellectual. It starts off in the realm of reasoning and philosophy, but you've got to do the work to bring that down to a heart level, which is the place where real change is effected. Data and facts are not going to affect real change. They will influence some change, but data and facts are not going to affect real change. It needs to happen on a soul and heart level. And so some of these other religions that I was exposed to, in many ways, I felt like I was betraying my family as well. Oh, yeah. We were talking about this a bit earlier. You know, I felt... because I was raised in such a strong Protestant tradition that even contemplating something like the saints was a no-no. Like we didn't talk about saints. We didn't, uh, you know, unless a church was named St. Andrew, that was the only kind of engagement. And so in talking to my Catholic friends, it was like, well, what's the deal with the saints? Like what, what, what's going on here? You know, like, tell me about that. And it was me being unashamedly bold and just asking people. So my Muslim friends, I would say, right. So um, what's the prayer about? What's the call to prayer about? And I started picking up Arabic terms here and there. And I started picking up um, from my Jewish friends, you know, Hebrew terms. And then I started to make connections between Christianity, Judaism, Islam. And I thought, right, this is the same mountain as a different path. Absolutely. Yes. And a different path. And the more I got into it, then I started studying these kind of arcane and esoteric readings in both Islam and Judaism and Christianity. And, you know, there's a thought in some Kabbalistic Jewish realms that we're all incarnated in such a way that you know, there's supposed to be a certain number of Muslims. There's supposed to be a certain number of Christians. There's supposed to be a certain number of he, of, of Hindus um, to create a balance within the world. And so in some of these thoughts, you know, it's very much accepted that there's a plurality and that there's very much a diversity as an expression of the divine within the human realm, that there are different ways to encompass the truth, capital T truth, uh, whatever that may be, and not something that's um, subjective, but something that is the capital T truth and expressed in small T truths in different ways. And when I realized that, I thought, wow, you know, this is my journey. For me, I'm a student of Jesus. For me, I do identify as a Christian. However, um, I've got to recognize that the person that I follow also lived um, in a multicultural society with Roman imperialism, absolutely, um, was, yeah. you know, where there were several languages being spoken: Aramaic, Hebrew. There was Latin. So I really wanted to delve into that world to understand who is this person of Jesus, because in order to understand the person of Jesus, 
Um, you know, I also that that also leads me to a contemplation on who I believe his divinity is, and that is a constant, ongoing revel- revelation. And for for me in my life. You know, there's a line in the Bible that St. Paul writes, and I call him my worst best boyfriend because I wrestle with Paul a lot. He's my worst best boyfriend. Um, And he, he says something to the effect of, you know, the gift of faith, that not everybody has the gift of faith. And I think in my life, I've been given the gift of faith um, and the gift of seeking this kind of you know, quest that I'm on to, to live more deeply in my humanity and my own divinity and studying this Jesus person, you know, what does that mean for him to be fully human and fully divine? And what does that mean for all of humanity? And so studying the other religions has helped me in many ways on that journey, because for me, at the end of the day, Jesus saves me for myself. And um, that's the, you know, you had mentioned that before and, I, that was such a well not it was still eye-opening because it gave me something to reflect on but it was such a profoundly true statement that jesus saved you from you exactly. um, and i would imagine through your faith whatever it may be realizing that you have your God on your side to help you and to have your back while changing you changing yourself for the better. I would think that being able to realize that, and I say think, even though I know that it was very important for me as well, it really felt like I had somebody in my corner, somebody that genuinely cared enough for me somebody that i could speak to at any time and and you know whether certain religions say you have to do this in order to speak to your god or whatever like that i'm just like hey boss um i need to talk you know like like i i I believe that and you know i i'm christian so i believe that Jesus is pretty rad, man. Like he's kind of got an open door policy with me. You know what I'm saying? So I, I can talk to him at any time. And, and you know, and I, I cannot wait to get into your peas. And we're not talking about the things that you eat. Um, but one, one of the biggest things to me in life is communication. And you said that while you were different in in different locations you were able to interact with different people but those were kind of people of faith if you will um have you had any instances like how how do you approach people or have you in the past where maybe they were atheist or you know like wiccan and and i i i know wiccan I, I'm I'm mainly speaking out of uh, socially constructed religious organizations and stuff. You know, have you ever spent any time with you know any, any Wiccans or atheists? And like, do you have anything that you know they they look at and they're they're like, what? 
are you for real like an icebreaker or whatever you know look at or that that you might say do you have any like stories of of any of those things oh yeah i've got all kinds all kinds oh you're a talker now i've got lots of friends that are that are um that are atheists um and they're fantastically wonderful people i've got friends that are humanists um, part of the humanist movement. Um, I have had a number of encounters with pagans, Wiccans, Druids, uh, you name it. Um, where I live in England, I'm very lucky that there's a, a very ancient stone circle not far from me, which is shaped like Stonehenge. And I go up there because I was also raised in the Celtic Christian tradition, which, you know, looks very similar to paganism in a certain way uh, in terms of ritual. Um, and so for instance, Samhain is coming up on the 31st of October and I'll be, uh, it's the Celtic new year. So I'll be going up there and there's Druids, there's all kinds of people. And, um, you know, certainly I've had a lot of encounters. There's one particular encounter that I, I really treasured. So um, a couple of years ago, I went down to Glastonbury in England, which is known for being a very esoteric new age uh, place. There's a lot of tradition about Jesus actually being there um, as a teenager with Joseph of Arimathea. Um, and if you know the Christian scriptures, Joseph of Arimathea um, was very important in Jesus' life and, and, um, uh, bought his uh, tomb, essentially. Um, but there is a, a a legend. Now, I would just like to say, there's a statement that I like to share quite often, and that is, all stories are true, just some of them didn't happen. Okay? Fair enough. Fair all enough. All stories are true, just some of them didn't happen. I'm not here to judge whether or not Jesus was actually in England or not. I like to think he was because I like to dwell in the realm of possibility. But the tradition is that Jesus um, came to England with Joseph of Arimathea as a teenager because Joseph of Arimathea was a tin trader. And of course, in the Roman era, um, England was very much a center for tin trading. In fact, I've got old Roman tin mines behind my house. So um, I went to Glastonbury and the tradition is that he landed there. He also went to Iona and where I lived actually for a couple of years, not long ago. Um, and there's a Joseph of Arimathea tree that was there, which is an actual tree from Israel, Palestine. Uh, and it's on a big, big hill. And there was um, Glastonbury Abbey was built there. But this place, it's got sacred wells as well. There's the chalice well. There's another well. So this place attracts a lot of esoteric seekers. And I wanted to go to Glastonbury. It's been on my list to see. So I went and I spent three days. And as I was looking for accommodation, I found this place called the Coven, right? The Coven Bed and Breakfast. That sounds nice. Yeah, yeah. It was very interesting. And um, so... <laughs> I, I stayed, I, you know, I, I booked this place and 20 minutes before I arrived, the owner rang me. He said, um, I've just Googled you and I see that you're a minister. And he said, I just want you to know that, you know, this is the coven bed and breakfast. And, you know, we do have people staying here that are pagans, which is whatever. No way. Are you okay with that? And I said, yes, I can't wait to see. So I arrived there and the place is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it's got like a vampire killing kit, no joke. Um, all these alchemical symbols all over the walls, 
you know, um, ancient Jewish symbols. It was just really, really an interesting place to just be and to look. And the next morning at breakfast, I was sitting down at the table and as one does, you know, there were several people and they said, so what do you do? And I said, well, actually I'm a Methodist minister. And the woman was like, oh, and I said, what is, is everything okay? And she said, well, I'm, I'm a Wiccan. And I said, oh, okay, nice to meet you. And we just started talking about her practice, my practice, what we do. She taught me some things. I taught her some things. We were talking about, you know, um, how some of our practices are similar. You know, they use candles. We use candles in church, you know, talking about um, the, how, how uh, Wiccans, pagans, depending on, on their um, practice, you know, they, they manipulate certain things to share something in a ritual. Well, we also do that in church, right? We light candles, you know, we say the epiclesis, which is the institution of the Holy Spirit onto the bread, into the wine, that it is changed in my tradition. It is changed into the body and blood of Christ. What that means, we leave that up to the Holy Spirit, you know, so there were, there were some crossovers. Um, and I loved hearing about her experience and, and she actually used to be a Methodist. She used to be a Christian. Oh, wow. and I said, so tell me about that journey, about how you got to where you were. And I mean, it's the same for many people. It's got everything to do with the institutionalized aspect of any religion. You know, she just had enough of the institution. She was hungry for the spiritual parts, but it was the institution that really she walked away from. Um, And she still believed in God. She still believed in Jesus. But for her, her ritual practice as a Wiccan pagan, I can't recall which one she was, was more meaningful for her. So I love these encounters. In fact, I've got um, a colleague who actually um, does ecumenical work with pagans and Christianity, and I've done a bit as well. And he's written a book um, on that. And, um, you know, I think these conversations are really important to have because you can find a lot more commonality than you think that you may not think are actually present. Um, And for me, that's really important. So, and I love, I love talking to people of any religion or an atheist as well. And I talk to them and say, right, how, like, there's this one bloke at my um, local shop and he found out that I was uh, clergy and his first statement to me was, well, I'm a Darwinist. Well, I live not far from Shrewsbury, which is where Charles Darwin was born. And he said, he said, well, I'm a Darwinist. And I said, well, how unfortunate that your theory of evolution is so outdated. And he didn't know what to do with that. And I just said, sorry, mate, your theory of evolution is outdated by a couple hundred years now. Um, if you're going to be a Darwinist and you want to say that you believe in evolution and that's not a reason for believing in whatever created all this, then that's great. But can you go read, you know, um, Homo sapiens ball, Yuval Harari or something and get yourself up to date? And he didn't know what to do with that. Right, right. Well, and, and oftentimes we are said, indoctrinated, educated, whatever process that goes through and people and this kind of goes into putting the work in and doing your homework. Once someone is fed something 
especially if it takes minimal effort on their part. They automatically jump on it. They automatically believe it. They automatically regurgitate it. And through that regurgitation, they also, through the absorption and the process in their mind and the repetitive regurgitation of whatever that one specific thing was, no matter how outdated it may be, they start to believe it and through others hearing it in kind of a cool way or whatever, they're very receptive. So you have that instant gratification of, you know, everything that you need to know. And it, you hinder yourself from actually learning more or saying more up to date. And, and this is not to bash any, you know, um, a, a Darwinist or anything like that. This is just in general that, once you're fed something that's great now do your homework it's time you know and, and you were talking about uh, how you were willing to put in the work which which is great to to, to learn about different culture cultures and read passages read scriptures do the homework and I think a big reason why you were able to speak to so many facets of spirituality and faith is because you were willing to, but you also actually followed through and put the work work in. And, and you know, the, the action aspect is huge and the continued aspect of action is is huge in any kind of growth you know and, and i tell people that like you know they say well you know never go backwards in life you can't go backwards in life mm. what happened in the past is already done you can tr redo it in a similar fashion you cannot go backwards in life and guess what life isn't waiting for you so if you're not constantly learning through yourself and others, through reading, through understanding and actually putting in that work to put your ego aside, put your uh, preconceived notions of another aside, just to simply learning to me, it's not inherently bad, but to truly learn especially something outside of your realm, I believe during that process, you also need to put yourself aside, your beliefs. If you want to expand, you can't keep doing the same thing because you're not going to expand. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I heard a little story about uh, you spinning some records uh, a while ago or being a, being a DJ. So, I mean, you really have... That was yeah, a long time ago. Oh, come on. You're only 26. Stop. Yeah. yeah. I'm a graying middle-aged woman. But yeah, that was a, that was a long time ago. Um, I mean, I did a lot of things to to put myself through university. And uh, yeah, I was a DJ for a period of time. I worked in radio for a period of time. Um, did some comedy stuff. I did some improv. I used to, to do a little bit of stand-up comedy. Um but, you know, they say looks aren't everything. So there you go. Um, and um, yeah, I used to used to spin some records. And, you know, that was one of the things that kind of told me that I, I wanted to enter ministry or that I felt called to enter ministry was because 
man, the stuff you see on a dance floor, that was one of the travel and being a DJ was probably two of the best educators of my life because you see everything. And, you know, I used to go outside and have a cigarette and have a break and, um, Gosh, you smoke. Are you kidding me? And you're a minister. I know. No, no. I even wear leather and rode a motorcycle for a while. Oh, it's shocking. Um, but you know, people would open up because they, you know, I would, they would come into the club, you know, bawling their eyes out for whatever reason. And I would just light up a cigarette and say, are you okay? And they would say, can I have a smoke? And then, you know, it would turn into an hour long conversation where it was kind of a therapy. It was kind of, um, an opportunity to meet people. And those conversations were really sacred to me. And, you know, sometimes people would actually end up coming to church, even if it was just for a visit or whatever. And, you know, they were just people that you met and you would hear stories. And, and, you know, certainly in my life, my life has not been easy. I don't want to gloss this over. You know, when we were, we were talking about earlier about, you know, you were saying that you can, you can just talk to Jesus. Certainly there have been times in my life where God has felt incredibly distant and I felt incredibly alone. And I remember, um, one, one period in my, in my life, um, you know, so I'll just share a little bit. So when I was born, I was very, very ill. I was very sick and I was in and out of the hospital for the first six years of my life. And that was traumatic. Um, and that's where I had my first experience of uh, witnessing death was actually in the person in the crib next to me was three and died. Um, and I grew up in varying states of stability and instability because my father was a carpenter and we were at the mercy of the economy. So there were times when our power was cut off that we had cream peas on toast. We didn't have anything else to eat. Um, and yet there were other times when we feasted on roast beef and expensive food and, um, then when I was a teenager, there were several people that were close to me that died in tragic accidents. Um, one person drowned um, at the beach and I was there when that happened. Another person accidentally carbon died of carbon monoxide poisoning, working on the car. Um, somebody that I was dating was hit and killed by um, a drunk police officer who was on duty, um, wow. made, made national headlines on that. And, that was all by the time I was 17 and, you know, having to deal with, with those things, you know, now if something tragic like that happens in a school, they send in counselors, they put in the work um, to help people in their journey. There was none of that in the nineties and the eighties. There was none of that. I mean, I remember being in the hallway, just sitting there completely, you know, like a zombie and my chemistry teacher saying, you need to go to class. And I'm saying, I I can't, I can't function. And she said, you need to get back to normal. And I thought there's no normal. How, how can you go back to normal after your boyfriend's been killed in such a situation? And, you know, I was really, really lost at that time. And my friends were really lost. And some of them, you know, uh, started turning to drinking and drugs. And I certainly started on a path of self-destruction myself. And um, then I had this moment, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but um, talking about about God feeling distant and, um, you know, doing the work on yourself. And you certainly, um, I was very, my parents, 
you know, really pestered me to go to church. And I just didn't want to go because I wasn't feeling it, man. I wasn't feeling it. I didn't want to go sit in the church with a bunch of old people singing these hymns from the 18th century. That's I was a teenager. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't want to do it. And this one Sunday, you know, they said, come on, you're coming to church. And I thought, oh, egg, mate. I don't, I couldn't be arsed. So I went to church and it changed my life because we had communion that day. And when the minister was breaking the bread and he said, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then he said, Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will rise again. And I, I something broke open in me at that moment. Something broke open in me and I realized, wait a minute, this Jesus dude, he's, he's not just a character in this book. Wait a minute. If, if he resurrected, whatever that means, I don't know what it means. I still don't know what it means. Although often a little side side tangent here, about the learning, the other thing that's really formed my faith is reading about scientific stuff, especially physics, quantum physics. That is inherently spiritual as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, the stuff about the resurrection, whatever that means, and hearing in my head the scripture that I'd heard many times, you know, Christ has conquered death. Oh, death, where's your sting? Something shifted in me and I thought, wait a minute, my boyfriend's death. Yes, he is dead. This is incredibly tragic, but we in this world, if this is the, the message of Jesus, that death is, is not a permanent thing, that there is such a thing as life beyond death, then my grief needs to take a form that is meaningful because I'm not just going to sit here and feel sorry for myself, but this death has meaning. What is that meaning? What, what within me do I need to do to better comprehend this? And that really is where my spiritual journey on my own started. And now every time I do communion or Eucharist, that's with me. And I'm in a flood of tears because for me, the kingdom, whatever that which fetters ourselves to ourselves is broken open. And for me, when I do communion, it's, it's personally, it's a very sacred moment because I'm representing something that is shifting a cosmological shift in this thing that Jesus talks about in this crazy kingdom of the first will be last and the last shall be first. That's the whole world is on its head. There's a, there's a shift somewhere within us because the kingdom, as Jesus tells us, is within us. And so God felt very distant, but yet very present. And I remember there was another time uh, my mother died when she was 60 and I was in my early 30s. And that really messed me up hard. Um, because I was really close with my mom. Um, she died at home. I found her. She had been ill before that. I had developed post-traumatic stress disorder from all the stuff in the hospital. Um, it was really intense. I mean, she was in there for a long time and bells, whistles, you know, ambulance sirens would send me in. It would, would be a trigger. Flannel blankets would be a trigger. And I was really messed up. And at that point, I was still discerning ministry and the church was, you know, really wanting me to be this kind of cookie cutter minister that I just couldn't fit into that mold. And I, rem and I failed an internship 
And I remember laying on the kitchen floor, bawling my eyes out. I mean, like heart wrenching, bawling my eyes out. I was didn't have hardly any money. Um, I was lucky that I had a place to, to live, but I was really struggling financially. My mom was dead. My father was living really far away. I just come out of a not very good relationship, just spent a year and a half dealing with my PTSD. And I'm thinking, God, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to serve you. I want to share with the world in an official capacity what you have done for me because that was my call to ministry was all about. I wanted to share in an official capacity what God had done for me, Jesus saving me from myself. And I remember being on that kitchen floor and saying, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is one of the words that Jesus says on the cross. And I I felt really forsaken. And I thought, listen, I have dedicated years of learning. I have dedicated my time, attention, and efforts to talk to people about how you have worked in my life and you're sitting there doing nothing. What's going on? And I would pray. I wouldn't feel heard. And this went on for several months. It was a whole bunch of culmination of stuff. And I was absolutely distraught. I I just thought, what is the point of any of this? Correct. Yeah. I think that's a completely natural and and common feeling is, you know, I I I had a hard time, then I started doing it right, but then this broke down, but I got over that, but then this broke down again, but I got over that. Why, why, why is this continuing to go on? And I, I think sometimes we don't understand that why. And, you know, you'd mentioned getting tangential. I often do as well because I am a huge believer in disseminating, not the what. You, you obviously have to let them know the what, but the why behind it. Because so often the why behind it, the intent behind it, the origin of something can put it out there in a way that people can really make it their own. They can learn so much from it. Not just saying, hey, this is the modern, you know, church of Shalom. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, and this is what you have to believe. You you explain the why, because all the way back to like Sanskrit and 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 caveman drawings and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Learning all the way back there to really be able to absorb everything. And through that, I mean, I I believe that humans are creatures of habit and you have patterns of life and stuff like that. And, and not only for a specific human, but the human race, if you will. Um, we, we oftentimes go through the same patterns and stuff. So when you look back at that through learning the history, the why of things, the origin of it, you can start to see the pattern. And when you do, you don't feel alone. Exactly. Exactly. And you were talking earlier about, you know, talking about going into the past and the past of the past. 
And the present's the present and the future is the future. And in that time when I was feeling that God was really distant and I wasn't getting the answers to why, right? Because I dealt with a lot of suffering. I mean, no more, no less, not to belittle anybody else's story, but, you know, I, I, I'd gone through my, a, a fair amount of suffering and I'm, and I'm leaving some of my life story out here because this isn't about glorifying the suffering. Um, there was a great line that was read to us the day before our ordination that said, do not suffer beyond what you need. And I have that written in my office. And I think that's a great line. So in, these, in this questioning and God feeling really distant and me asking why, when you were talking earlier about going into the past, this is where my training as a student archaeologist came in to be very important because I applied the theories of archaeology to myself and I did archaeology on myself. And oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I looked at these things in context and I, and I did the, the soul archaeology on myself while God was feeling quiet. Now this led to two things, God's quietness and that failure, which I felt very wounded by was a blessing and it was a blessing because if I hadn't have failed that internship and been so messed up by my mom's death and all the things that I failed to address in myself, because you see when I was pursuing these intellectual um, engagements with other cultures and with other religions, I was still in the realm of the intellectual, which is what I talked about earlier. It was not in my heart. I was a Christian. Yes but it was still an intellectual faith. It was not a personal faith, meaning that there was no changes within me that reflected this grasping of this intellectual pursuit of understanding because there's a difference between knowledge and understanding, right? Absolutely. Right. So I had the knowledge, but I didn't have the understanding. So two things happened because of this culmination on the kitchen floor, failing and all these things, because that happened, it was actually a blessing. When God was quiet, it turned out to be a blessing because what happened the year after that was I continued on with my church, but I decided that I was going to leave the ministry and a job fell into my lap, which put me in Scotland. And when I was in Scotland, I met all these Methodist people and I thought, these are who I want to be accountable to. And here I am sitting now as a Methodist. So it was a complete and utter change of direction. So that failure was actually not a stumbling block, but it was a cornerstone of that time when God was silent. The other thing that it did for me was to help me realize that this Jesus dude who lived, who was crucified, buried, and resurrected, that pattern is in our life at every moment at every time. We are either going to crucify someone or we are going to be crucified. Absolutely. That was a crucifixion moment for me, right? Because there have been many other crucifixion moments for me where I was buried, but I failed to do the work to do the resurrection, which is why all these things, I, I didn't do the work. I just didn't do the work until finally the universe, God, whatever was conspiring around me said, right, th this, this is, yeah, again, another crucifixion moment for you. Now, this is going to crucify you. You need to go in the ground and you need to do the work because, you know, the Christian tradition tells us, it's, it's not in the Bible, but the, the, the Christian tradition tells us that as Jesus was buried, he wasn't just laying there, he was doing work. He was going into hell, whatever we deem hell to be in my 
Celtic tradition, heaven and hell are places on earth and not in the afterlife. Um, so Jesus is is in hell, harrowing hell, doing the work in hell, right? He's not just laying there, biding his time, waiting for this resurrection. No, he's he's doing stuff. So in that moment when God was quiet, in my crucifixion moment and my burial moment, I realized, wait a minute, a resurrection ain't just going to come from a magical hand in the sky because God is not some old dude on a throne with a beard with a magical hand. We are co-creators with God. And guess what? The resurrection just doesn't happen in us humans. It might have just happened in Jesus. The resurrection, if it's going to happen, we need to be willing participants in this. God isn't just going to come in with a hand and pull us out and say, right, you're resurrected, off you go. We have a responsibility to respond to the opportunity for resurrection. And that has been a major shift in my understanding of who I am as a spiritual being, because every day is going to be crucifixion, burial, resurrection. There are going to be crucifixion, burial, resurrection moments in life. What resurrection means is something different every time, but we've got to do the work ourselves. We have got to, whilst we're in that place, have the courage to say, okay, God, you're silent right now. I'm in this dark place, so to speak, quote unquote, I need to, I'm ready for the resurrection. I'll do, I, I need to do what it takes. And sometimes that's going to take moments, months, years. Or an entire lifetime. And, and or an entire lifetime. It's an ongoing that, process. It's the resurrection yeah. is an ongoing everyday process. And, you know, Paul says, I am a new creation. Well, yeah, we are not the person we were. If, 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 if people who knew me 20 years ago heard me now, they would say, who is this person? If people heard me six months ago and heard me now, they would say, who's this person? Because you've got to take it from the realm of the intellectual and and this pursuit of growing your soul as a human being and as a divine human being in a way that promotes humility. It's about self that the whole, this whole spiritual process is about self-awareness of who we are as a person, but self-awareness of who we are in the context of this world of what our role is within the cosmos, understanding those interconnected points that, you know, there comes a point in your life when you realize when Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you to love your neighbor as yourself. You realize that actually what you wish for someone else is actually what you're wishing for yourself. And this is where for me, the role of science comes into it and physics and quantum physics and photons and, all that stuff. I mean, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Well, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What's that mean? And then you look at something like a photon and you realize that they've tried to destroy, that they've tried to destroy a photon and a photon cannot be destroyed. Correct. You know, they've, they've, they've beamed lasers, done all these crazy things with photons to try to destroy the photon. And it blips for a second, but it is unchanged and ends up somewhere else. For me, that's a scientific model of resurrection it it cannot be destroyed for jesus to say i'm the light of the world is he saying i'm the proton of the world like what is this so you come to a point where you realize that this is an ongoing thing that what you wish for somebody else is what you wish for yourself there is no such thing as other we are all human um and then that turns into something 
even much bigger that's not in the realm of the intellectual. It becomes embodied within yourself. Now, I am not a perfect person by any means. I've got my own struggles, but Jesus saves me from myself through these teachings. And the more you devote to the teachings, the more it will devote to you. Absolutely. And and through those struggles, you are resurrected. Through those struggles, you are crucified. Through those struggles, you are buried. But at the end, through living through, through working through all of those struggles, then you can rise again. And it's a moment-by-moment choice. Yes, ma'am. It's a moment-by-moment choice. There are people right now who are in circumstances that feel that they have no way out because of their circumstance. We are not merely defined by our circumstance. We can make small choices to see things just slightly differently and to be open, you know, and, and and going back to this, we were talking a bit earlier about, um, you know, looking at things, you know, if something makes you, (coughs) pardon me, uncomfortable when you are talking with somebody else of a different faith or a different perspective, we often deflect that onto the other person and say, well, they're wrong. No, no, no. The question is what within me is reacting this way? Correct. Yes. What within me is, is rea- and, and part of ministry is keeping yourself in check. There are going to be times when people are going to say and do things that are really going to make you mad. And again, this is where Jesus teaches us, you know, cause he, he goes into some temples and he knocks over some tables and he curses a fig tree and he does some stuff. That's a bit, right. you know, Jesus, homeboy, what you doing? What are we right. doing? Right. Those teachings, you know, those are opportunities. I I had an incident actually (laughs) this past Sunday. (laughs) Oh, God, forgive me. I had an incident this past Sunday. Um, Of course, we're living in COVID times. I'm extremely clinically vulnerable. Um, I have to be very careful where I go, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm double masked when I leave worship. Now, this really pisses a lot of people off because they don't want to be wearing masks. That's fine. Do what you want. But for me, I need to be masked because I don't want to end up dead. And worse, I don't want to end up with long-term illness. So God bless her. This lady about 95 says to me in the middle of a prayer, can you take your mask off? And I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't. And she said, who told you you can't take your mask off? I said, my doctor. She said, well, your doctor's wrong. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm extremely clinically vulnerable and I really am not comfortable with it. And she said, well, we've all got medical problems. Take your mask off. I can't hear you. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll move the microphone a bit closer to me. Now on the inside <laughs> of me was a beast. And I just thought to myself, who do you think you are? I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of a prayer here. Who do you think you are to even ask me about my medical stuff? Who do you think you are that I'm your, the visiting minister and you're, you're doing this? You know, And I had to go really deep inside myself 
in that moment, this played out in front of 50 people, people who had never been to church before. I mean, it, it was, it was a scene. It was a scene. I had to go really deep inside myself and check myself before I wrecked myself. And I had to say to myself, what is this person doing that's getting you so riled up inside? And within, you know, this, this goes on in microseconds. And I thought, right, I'm upset because she's challenging my authority as a minister. Right. It's got nothing to do with masks. It's got nothing to do with COVID. And then my next thought was what within her is going on that she is making such a scene about this in such a public place in the middle of a prayer. And she didn't do it beforehand. And I thought to myself, Shalom, you need to have compassion for this person because this really isn't about you. It's about something deeper and something going on in her life. Your, your authority is nothing. Just let that go. And within that instant, I was able to de-escalate the situation. I was able to check myself before I wrecked myself. I was able to see her with eyes of compassion. And then after the conversation, I just said, let's hold this tension. And I acknowledged the tension. I didn't just dismiss it. I acknowledged the tension and say, let's acknowledge this tension that we all have differing views, that we're all impatient, that we all want COVID to be over, that we, you know, we still have these processes in place. Let's hand this over to God in a moment of quiet. And after two minutes of silence, we just went back to how it was as if nothing had ever happened. She was calm. I was calm. These are the things that Jesus saves me from. But I had to go deep. I had to go deep be, to be able to not let my ego do the speaking in that moment because my ego was confronted. Well, in <clears throat> I have my own thoughts on mass and, and you know that that whole realm in the current society right now and while i will respect others opinions in the hopes that they respect mine i also choose well to to kind of, to get to the point by prefacing this you know growing up catholic and I had explained this to you um, be, before is I had some real questions like, you know, what, man, I, I'm, I'm just lost. And I, I went to the priest and he lost it, lost it like that woman. And he just told me, how dare you question this? you just have to believe and i'm like well i do believe father but i don't know what to believe and when he said you believe what the church tells you ah dude that's my cue i'm out right well that's what you know and i know we're talking about masks and there have been but there have been plenty of other things in my life that at certain points, I was told, this is how it is. You do not deviate from this one bit. Now, there are certain things in life, certain aspects, certain things that you must do. Um, that, yeah, that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, that, that's the way to do it, dude. But 
when speaking to somebody and they are, and, and I'm just going to say ignorant, when they are so ignorant to the reason why they are telling you something, that really throws that in there that you are impeding in not my constitutional freedom and, and all this, but the freedom within me. Mm-hmm. You're injecting your ignorance, your willful obedience to what has been told to you that you're not willing to work with me to understand your point. And and that's something that I really, uh, one of the many things I very much appreciate about you is that you're open-minded You'll listen, you'll take it in. Not only are you learning from them, whether it be about something global or just specifically about that person, Mm -hmm. you're still learning and you're taking that in. You're formulating your thoughts and quite possibly they may shed some light on things that, well, dang, man, I didn't really think about that. Really? Wow. Okay, so... Blood really isn't red. It just appears red because we've been told that that's red. So red's actually the name of a color. But yeah, and go down that whole rabbit hole and you just realize and you're like, okay, so maybe this would be a better way in the future for me to even disseminate it to someone of their similar thought process and everything so this this learning is absolutely crucial but also is accepting other people's points i choose not to wear a mask i'm very blessed to be extremely healthy um and i don't have to the same way that i don't have to walk around with a cast on my leg because I don't have pre-existing issues where that, that, that cast would help. However, if someone else did and they are doing it of their own free will, of their own belief, they're not hurting me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't care what you put on your face. I don't, if I don't care what kind of makeup you wear, yep. why am I going to care what else you put on your face if i don't care what your thoughts are on this specific sport because i don't watch that sport well does that mean you're not a sports fan we're both sports fans right we just have different views on what we prefer to do and how we prefer to go about it you know you like to watch football I don't like to watch football mm-hmm. because I don't care for American football, but I love to watch soccer <laughs> in America. So you and I are on the same page there. But see, that's the thing is I can say, oh, I can't stand football. And you're like, really? Are you, do you realize who you're talking to right now? And because you didn't take that moment to understand what I meant by football because well i'm just a yank i'm just an american right so football to us is something different than you but then i come out and say but i'm a huge fan of soccer Mm. well you just got butt hurt and all ticked off and all out of you know sorts in the tizzy 
when we actually like the same thing and in in through that i know that you've kind of developed a a couple things that we had alluded to earlier um you know some some p words yeah and i was what, what i'd like to do if it's all right with you is take a quick break to uh pay a couple bills you know uh have a word from our sponsor and come back and maybe dive into that does that work for you all right for me well guys stand by from a word from our sponsor chris here of k-bar soap company reminding you to ditch the bar grab a grenade and shower with freedom all right so shalom you have discussed with me that you have some peas that you would like to discuss and i want to learn more about them so without further ado can you please tell me what the heck's up with all your peas yeah lots of peas peas and cubes no mostly peas um oh, so- of course for 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 those and that that was something that you know we had talked about before too is you know i i i'm a rather younger gentleman um but uh learning from my elders i actually learned what it meant to mind your p's and q's and that is mind your pints and quarts because as you get sauced up you tend to uh have a lot of fun and forget those things so that is a uh Good little reminder, don't get too sauced up. I don't drink, um, and that's for personal reasons. But if you do, whatever you do, uh, do it responsibly and mind your P's and Q's. But off of that little tangent, uh, let's go to Shalom's P's. And let's not forget that a British pint is larger than an American pint. Oh Lord, here we go. No, no, no. For, forget your pee. We're good. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no. Um, no, but uh that yes, absolutely. You know, because we have standard stuff here. You guys have some kind of metric, whatever, you know. But see, we're standard here. So it's yeah. everything here. It's mixed. Same with Canada. But right, into the P's and Q's. So this is this is something that's worked for me on my own spiritual journey that I've I've used personally. I've not used these professionally, um, but for my own personal journey that I've kind of looked back on and said, right, what what have I done? What's working well? What's not working well? And before we get into the P's, I think it's really important to ask yourself the question: What is the purpose of the spiritual journey for you? Is it to become more self aware? Is it to heal from past wounds and trauma? Is it to be a better human being? Is it to be your best self? Um, Is it to grow your soul? Um, Is it to seek more love, justice, and compassion within the world, for the world and yourself? Um, So just asking yourself that question, like, what is the purpose of my journey? I think that's really important to ask yourself that frequently, to touch base with yourself on a regular basis, because the answer to that question may differ over time, and it should. So so the five Ps, things that worked for me, I'll list them and then I'll just give a brief detail of them. The first thing is paragraph. The second is prayer. The third is pace. The fourth is practice. And the fifth is people or partner. So paragraph, prayer, 
pace, practice, people or partner. What do I mean by paragraph? Paragraph refers to a text and it can be any sacred writing. It can be the Hebrew Testament, the, um, the Christian Testament, the Gnostic Gospels. It could be Rumi, the Quran, Hafiz, any sacred writings or poetry, sit down with them and read a paragraph at a time. You don't need to start at the beginning, although that's always good. But just start with a paragraph and read that paragraph. And if you don't understand it, that's fine. Just make the effort to read it every day, something different or something that, you know, if you wanted to start off with the Gospels and just read a paragraph from a chapter. And if you do that with the um, Christian Testament, it's really important that you, as you read a paragraph, you understand what's happened before, because that will give you insight to that particular paragraph. But read a paragraph at a time and just, you know, sit with it. Because the more you devote to reading sacred scriptures, the more it will give to you. It's not just a piece of paper. It's a, it's a living document and it lives through you and it lives through me. And, you know, we know that words are important because, you know, in, in John's gospel, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And then it goes on to talk about the word being made flesh in Jesus. We know words are important. And there are some traditions that believe the whole universe, the metaverse, whatever we want to call it, was spoken into creation by sacred words, letters, numbers. Could even be a mathematical equation. Who knows? We're, you know, right. we're, we're, so, we're so not evolved in, in terms of our understanding. So the more you spend with it, the more it will give to you. Start off with a paragraph. You, you don't need to, to understand it. It could be something really obscure. Just, just sit with it. And then later, spend some time in prayer. Now, prayer means different things to different people. My stepdaughter is a confirmed atheist. And she encountered a homeless man on the street she offered him her sandwich and he refused the sandwich. And he said, I would really appreciate your prayers instead. She went home and she thought, I don't believe in God. I don't, I meditate. I, I don't know what, like, what do I do? And so she just prayed. She just prayed. She didn't really address the prayer to any particular deity. She just prayed. And she rang me the next day and she said, you know, Shalom. She said, um, Something's changed within me since that prayer. I've meditated my whole life. That prayer did something to me, and I don't know entirely what it did, but it did something. So prayer, whatever that means to you, it could be to the higher power, it could be to God, it could be to the universe, whatever you want to direct your prayer to. And keep in mind that the purpose of prayer is, is again, I think we've got this understanding of God being a bearded man in a chair uh, with a magical hand to come down. The purpose of prayer is not to change someone else. It, it will change yourself. Proper prayer will change yourself. So spend some time in prayer. It doesn't need to be long. It just needs to be heartfelt 
honest and pray for whatever's on your heart at that time. It could be for yourself or someone else. So paragraph, read the paragraph, pray. The next P is pace. You've got to pace yourself and in my experience and leave some room in between these things. We live in a world where everything is instant. We want email answers. We want podcasts to download. We want everything instant, instant, instant. Pace yourself. This is not, if you're expecting some sort of growth revelation, it's not going to come in incremental, sorry, it will come in incremental moments, but it's not going to come like a download from like live streaming Netflix or YouTube or something. You've got to pace yourself. Leave room in between these practices. Silence is golden. Silence in that pacing, no words, just silence for even five minutes a day is going to open up with you something within yourself where the chaos and the clutter is going to be set aside and something is going to shift within yourself. A lot of people are uncomfortable with silence because we live in this world where we want everything instantly. The instant gratification, right? Instant Instant gratification. Absolutely. I remember um, where I was working on a Sunday evening, we had um, a service of quiet that was 20 minutes. And man, that felt like the longest eternity to me. I worked myself up to the 20 minutes and over time it became like two minutes. Try to find time in your day, if you can, start off with one minute of quiet. And if you've got a set a timer, set a timer. Try to work your way up to five minutes of silence. And if a thought comes into your head, fine. Just dwell in the silence. No television, as quiet as you can for wherever you live. If you live in New York City, you live wherever and it's hectic and chaotic, whatever. Just silence. Dwell in it and just sit there and pace yourself. So paragraph, prayer, pace. Let the silence come in. The next P is practice. I spoke earlier of a lot of these things being relegated to the realm of the intellectual and philosophical and pursuit of, you know, knowledge. The purpose, in my opinion, is that this can be understanding and can be lived. Just like I really got angry with that lady in church, God forgive me, you know, for that, um, to, to bring it to a heart level where it's lived out on the everyday and can be done in a matter of moments. This is the purpose, in my opinion, of changing yourself, of Jesus saving me from myself. Practice. That can be a spiritual practice. That can be implementing what you've learned in the checkout line at the Walmart. It can be when you're driving on the road. It can be at the airport. It can be whatever. Putting what you've learned and what's been revealed to you into practice. Now, a lot of people say to me, well, I have a spiritual practice. I meditate. I do this. It's not working. Look, mate, if it ain't working after three months, why are you still doing it? Correct. If what you are not currently doing or what you are currently doing is not working out for you, for the best of you, then maybe just try the complete opposite and see if that's going to work. You know, liberate yourself. And just like my stepdaughter with the homeless man, she's been meditating for years and she's felt she's had no change within herself. And I said, then why are you doing it? It's what you're doing ain't working. 
So you either need to change your meditation practice or find something else. Try to find, there's all kinds of spiritual practices you can do from Lectio Divina to Imagio Dei to gazing at pictures. There's all kinds of spiritual practices out there that you can do. If it's not working for you, why are you trying to push something that's not working to you? It, and, and if you tried something 20 years ago that didn't work, now might be the time to revisit that practice. Right. And, and that right there in itself is you're the one who's practicing. I'm giving out, I would say, if I was going to tell you how to do something, I'm going to tell you how I do it. And the way that I do it will never, for one, be the same for me ever again, because that's going to have to adapt. And it will never be the same for you. So if you are obsessing over it has to be this way in order for me to accomplish this practice properly, I am a firm believer that it is never going to be as effective as you practicing that whatever it may be your way. And that may be the easiest solution to it not working is because you're doing it someone else's way instead of yours. Or like you said, in the past, it didn't work. Well, that's because as much as we don't want to allow the external to affect our internal, we still do have the external all around us. And though we are as powerful as we allow ourselves to be and just as powerful is the entire external as to what we allow in us those are still factors that we have to take in and those external factors now are going to be different than they were a time ago so maybe like you said this would be a more suitable time for you to practice whatever it may be in this present moment and it might just work out a lot better for you. And it might. And if one of the things that you want to work on is your self-discipline. Yes. Then definitely continue on with a spiritual practice that that's not working for you because the practice won't work, but the, the practice of the discipline might work for you, if that makes sense. So liberate yourself, man. If it's not working, wh- why? Give it, give it a period of time in your mind. Again, if you want to work on your discipline, and work on the aspect of discipline rather than the practice, then that could be a tool to working on discipline. But, you know, if it ain't, if it ain't working, why, why, why do that to yourself? There are tons of spiritual practices um, that you can pair with these other things that will, that will create that space within yourself. So, and the other thing when it comes to practice is not just the spiritual practice, but like I said, practicing what you have learned. So from reading those texts from the prayer, from the silence, you know, you may not be able to answer for yourself the question, what have I learned? It may now be a a case of where you're not reacting, but responding. Yes, yes, yes. So the the spiritual practice is starting to now become embodied in you, whereby, you know, your learning is now becoming a daily lived practice, which is very hard to do. But when it happens... You wait, think, wait a minute, I actually lived out, I actually lived out what I've learned. And then that starts out something different. So the next P is people partner. 
in the Christian Testament, Jesus sends people out in pairs. He doesn't send people out on their own. He sends people out in, in twos, kind of like the ark, right? He sends people out in pairs. If you look at the Jewish tradition, the rabbinic tradition, when people are in, you know, um, school, they sit at desks, not by themselves. They've got a partner. And they learn through and with their partner. So they will have intellectual debates. There's a really great um, uh, scene in a, in, a, in a film, a French film, about these two rabbis talking about this chimney sweep. And they're learning from one another. And the banter is absolutely hilarious. But they're learning from one another through this banter. This falls under the umbrella of people. Finding a community of faith whereby you can be shaped by your wise elders and you can also shape them in a partnership is really important. That could be a church. It could be a fellowship group. It could be any number of things, but finding a place where you can go and be with other people is important. And I would like to just touch on a few things with that what to look for, because this is where people will turn to institutionalized church or groups and it doesn't work out. And it doesn't work out for a few reasons. So for instance, the priest telling you, you've got to eat what you're being fed, right? You've got to believe what the church says. Okay. That's fine. However, my experience and my perspective now I'm speaking about how I try to practice ministry as well. You're looking for a place that's going to allow you to question stuff because doubt and setback are part of this journey. Yes. A lot are. of people say to me, you know, I have doubts. Okay. That's good. Lean into it. Work with it. Don't leave it. Work with it. That doubt is going to play an important factor in a number of things. It's natural. It's normal. And it's part of the journey. Question stuff. Ask why, why, why does the catechism start with this? Why does, you know, and a good spiritual teacher is not going to answer that question for you. They may explain it. They're not going to answer the question for you. A good spiritual leader is going to answer a question with a question. Jesus Correct. does this. Jesus does this all the time. He never directly answers a question. He answers a question with a question. So a good spiritual leader is may give you an explanation, but they're going to point you in the direction for you to find out the answer yourself. Another thing about doubt, if there's no room for doubt, there's no room for you, right? You're not there to be molded into the image of that particular community. There's got to be room for doubt in a healthy, constructive way. The last thing about people and, and partners is you've got to learn how to question from a spiritual perspective. So for instance, a number of times in church, people will ask me managerial questions about the management of the church. And I say to them, if you're coming to me with a management question, I'm not going to answer your question properly because I'm going to give you a ministerial answer. I'm not a CEO. I'm not a manager of a corporation. I'm a minister with a specific call in certain areas of life. So if you come to me with a management question about church, 
you're not going to get a manager's answer because I'm a minister. You got to learn how to answer the right questions and to ask rather the right questions. One of the tricks to doing this is we need to understand that, that facts, to quote my former professor, are an invention of the 17th century. They are a product of the Enlightenment. These texts that we're reading are not written from a factual perspective. Again, all stories are true. Some of them just didn't happen. If you are looking for facts, that's great. That is going to feed your knowledge. It's not going to feed your understanding. So um, asking factual questions is going to lead to a factual answer. Asking questions that are not factual are going to lead to a different answer. So for instance, um, you know, you could be reading your text and come across a word and you may want to look that up in Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic or Arabic or whatever language it is. And that's going to lead to something different. Asking the right questions. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my community? What does this mean for the world? Those are the questions, not what, and you, you can ask the, the question, what is the resurrection? But if you're looking for, you know, bodies coming out of graves, that might not be the answer that's going to be revealed to you. It could be something else. Right. So asking the right questions um, is really important. So, and it's so hard to find, and that really bothers me to find that place where you can question and you can be shaped by a community and you can also shape a community. So paragraph, prayer, pace, practice, people, partner. Um, for me, those are the five keys. And I mean, there's a lot more that we could go into here about how, how this can be, be taken in on a, on a daily basis rather efficiently um, without spending hours and hours and hours of learning to be, you know, um, reading these texts in the original language, et cetera. That's what worked for me. That's what I've reflected on. Well, and you had just mentioned questioning and, you know, I've, I was born in the Catholic church, if you will, and have studied many different faiths. And the two biggest areas of life that I have questions on are faith and myself. Mm -hmm. there, there have been plenty of other things, you know, a, a jack of all trade, master of none type things, but done pretty well in, the, in those realms and understood and operated well within them. However, faith and myself are the two things that are just most mysterious to me. And I found myself out of lack of discipline even though you know people might say well look at the titles you held in the past you had to be disciplined you had okay i didn't have self-discipline and that that has been a huge issue throughout my life that i finally confronted and said look i need to work on myself and part of working on myself was actually realizing that I don't know shit about myself and I don't know much about faith 
other than what I've been told. And I, I don't mean by reading a paragraph, reading scripture, reading the Quran, um, studying uh, Buddhist or Buddhism, right? Yes. Um, or even Native American or whatever, old rituals and stuff. It was just what I was told out of another man's mouth, the, the way that I needed to be. So with the paragraphs, what are in paragraphs can be, you know, old things written by cavemen on the walls and cave women, right? Because like you said, it takes two to tango, right? Two is one, one is none, three is a party, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but whether it's something from the prehistoric ages or a very modern book, what are some teachings, some readings, some paragraphs that really were just mind-blowing to you? Oh, there's there's quite a few of those. Um oh. Here we go. Mind blowing to me. Look, um, other than other than Jesus, I mean, there's there's quite a few lines in the Bible, um, and I'll get into those in a moment. But um, one of the one of the writings that really just takes down the fortress walls of my heart, and he absolutely bypasses every self defense mechanism that I have within myself, dissolves my ego. Is Rumi the poet? Yeah. Rumi, the poet. Um, so he, he actually challenges you. Oh, my land. Yeah. Rumi, he, he, yeah. He, there's, my, my heart is full of a lot of people. Jesus, John the Baptist, man. I love John the Baptist. I love him so much. Rumi, St. Bridget, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of Jesus, um, and all the saints. Um, <laughs> but Rumi, he, he just, melts whatever defense mechanism I have against myself. If I'm feeling particularly, you know, I'm this and I'm that, or if I'm having a hard day, Rumi, anything by Rumi, he's fantastic. And and I, with him, I can read paragraph by paragraph. With him, I have to go sentence by sentence. So Rumi, R-U-M-I. In fact, Beyonce's son, I think, is named Rumi. Um, Hafiz, the other poet, absolutely broke my world open, but Rumi particularly. A lot of uh, things in in the uh, Christian Testament, the New Testament, there's a lot. I mean, one of my favorite passages is, you know, Jesus, when he says, consider the lilies of the field, not even King Solomon and all of his splendor is clothed as one of these. And then he goes on to say, you know, consider the birds of the air, your father feeds them, he'll feed you. And then he goes on to say, well, worry, add one hour to your life. Well, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> I've, wow. got that written, okay. I've got that written in my, in my bathroom. Will worry, add one hour to your life. Now, he's not saying don't worry, but he's saying, you know, t- t- today's got enough trouble of its own. That's what he ends up saying. Today's got enough trouble of its own. What, don't worry about tomorrow. Oh, I had to. Mean, there, there's another line too, where you know where Jesus curses the fig tree. I could go into a whole thing about that. Um, when he turns over the tables in the temple, when he's, you know. But for me, man, the one thing that really broke me down hard and gets me every single time is when Jesus is arrested and he's brought forth before Pontius Pilate. 
right? Pontius Pilate was a pretty bad dude. He was so bad. They actually hauled him out of Jerusalem because he crucified so many people that even the Romans were disgusted. This is where paragraph becomes important, man. Who is this Pilate person? Like, who is he? The Romans actually haul him out of Jerusalem because he's crucified so many people. Even the Romans are disgusted by him. And if you know anything about Romans, it takes a lot to discuss them. But in this encounter that Jesus has with Pilate, when they're having this philosophical debate, they're talking about jurisdiction, about who has the right to arrest Jesus, and they're having this philosophical debate, and Pilate ends up asking Jesus, what is truth? Man, that question, and it's coming from the mouth of Pilate. It's not coming from Jesus. It's coming from Pilate, the guy that we're all taught to hate, you know, the guy that we're all taught you know, he, he's the guy who, who hands Jesus back to the crowd. What is truth? What, and if you want a really good film of this, Jeremy Sisto, who used to be on Law & Order, Deborah Messing, who plays Mary Magdalene, and Gary Oldman, who plays Pilate, and a brilliant Scottish actor, David O'Mara, who plays John the Baptist. Produced in 1999 in, in America. Sometimes it's shown on A&E if that's still a channel. That scene with Gary Oldman playing Pilate, what is truth? That will break, that will break open things in a person. That whole line. And Jesus, of course, responds. He, do, he doesn't really answer the question. He says, I stand though you know i i stand on the side of truth so he doesn't say he doesn't answer the question what is truth he just says that he stands on the side of it then there's other things that have really paragraphs that have broken me open as well like jesus when he says i am not of this world dude what do you mean i am not of this world and when he says i am the resurrection i'm thinking wait a minute the resurrection is not an event it's a person so even small sentences like that will will ruminate within you. Those are some things that have broken me open, but definitely Rumi, he bypasses all my defenses. That's awesome, you know, and and obviously part of this show is, is well, a huge part of it is our listeners, you know, and and what they can not only learn from us, but definitely learn from themselves and through that like you were saying is is reading the paragraphs and stuff and i often you know people say well you know that's their personal opinion that's their personal book well this is also their personal story so bluntly if you don't like it well go check out a different podcast however when when it comes to your story i believe that what you have put the work into reading um, or understanding is very valuable when trying to process your story not to try to figure out more about you but processing your story utilizing your assets that you've put into place to better understand myself and how you know your your assets your your books your readings your stories with somebody after you know having a smoke outside and they're just like wow and then you know you're the one that you're you're the teacher and everything but the one thing that stands out the most from that conversation is the thing that you learned 
from that person. Exactly. Because you've probably spouted out something very similar multiple times in your life that, that you did there. There there was a, a healing point, and, and that was kind of the, uh, the process and the point of what you were doing there. But I, I always talk about the whiffum, what's in it for me, you know, with, with, with this show. Um, let, let me tell you guys, it definitely ain't the money. Okay. The, and that's not what this was, was started for. It's intended to allow our guests to tell their story, speak their truth, impart a little bit of their own personal knowledge on all of us for us to either utilize or say, hey, that isn't working for me right now, so I'll shelf that for a while. Really good stuff. But it's all the word. And if we are of God and we are speaking our truth, could that quite possibly be a word of God? when you really when you really look in yourself and we're not talking about social construction or anything like that we're talking about when you spend that time in silence when you have read and understood the the paragraphs when you've prayed upon it in whatever way you choose to even if you don't call it prayer and you have learned through your practices what works best for you not the practice of someone else but by you making it yours and then being able to in this i guess this is where the, the people portion would go into it is you realize when you break down all this social construction of organized religions or non-organized or recognized or non-recognized and it all comes back to the center and that center becomes so peaceful to you and then you put it out and there's nobody outside of you which I believe God is in all of us. Mm -hmm. We are in us and God is in us. Mm -hmm. And if there is no longer an internal struggle for what you are about to put out, then it's part, well, it, it is you and you are of God. So is there a potential that through finding your true self and putting out what you heartfully truly believe that it may be a word of god absolutely when you find your true self that you find god because we are made in the divine image absolutely and, and when you find your true self and you find god then you see god in other people it's just like some of the, you know, the divine in me defeats the, you know, meets the divine in you, the namaste. You get to that level, and I'm still working on that. But you, you, you engage people on a spiritual plane, not on a corporeal, social construct plane. And there are some. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
No, no, go ahead. Oh, that, uh, we, we've discussed before how I am not a huge fan of socially constructed phrases and sayings and stuff like that. Because if they are constructed out of nefarious intent, those can be very detrimental to not only you, the person that's putting them out, um, but the, the people you're putting it out to. However, there are phrases, if you will, that aren't just phrases, but they've become phrases like namaste. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see it there. There's even like little emojis and everything or what GIFs or GIFs. Do, do you know what that's called? Is it a GIF? Is I it, call a, it GIF? a GIF? Okay, I, I, we'll go with a GIF, right? It, it's our it's our story. It may not be true. It may have never happened, but you know, whatever. We'll we'll call it a GIF. But where you'll see Namaste, and people put that out there because it's a cool thing. So, regardless, we are putting out good and bad, just like what's in us. I'm a firm believer that there is evil in every person. Yep. Because in order to have good you have to have bad there is always a balance Mm -hmm. you know every action has an equal and opposite reaction whether you're looking in the science realm or you're looking in the faith realm or you're looking from a socially constructed realm or you're looking from within your realm Mm -hmm. inside you everything comes back to balance and i truly believe that learning through faith and understanding that yes every single one of us are different but we're all similar and breaking away from that thought of how we're all so different and just realizing that there is difference in similarity there's no difference in the same so if you want that difference well then go to similar don't automatically go to the negative and realize that at the very core structure you're an archaeologist or you studied i'm going to call you an archaeologist because that's my story okay um but by tracking it all the way back whether it's through science faith or lack of either you all come down to the same we all started somewhere and we're all going to end somewhere but what we do in this moment will define us in this moment and what we do in the next if we're blessed enough to be here with it um will define that moment and as you look back even though we're not going to have that instant gratification if you will but after as you look back upon that pattern of going through your paragraph your prayer your pace your practice you know your person or your partner through that pattern there you go there create a pattern of five p's right so there, there there there's your sixth one but through that pattern of life you can start to look back 
on not so much what history has done, but you have done for yourself mm-hmm. and done in your life within you. And there you go. It wasn't instant, but it should be. If you're looking for that motivation, if you're looking for that gratification to help motivate you to to continue on your path, you'll be able to see that a lot greater. Yep. And it's going to take time. Yes. Yes. Yes, it will. I mean, um, I wasn't born this morning. that 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 wouldn't have worked out well because I don't think I'd have been able to operate the uh, the Zoom even though I wasn't I was born forty years ago it still took me a couple of days to learn how to use Zoom you know so everything you know we we we're all so impressed with ourselves like oh look what I can do now and that's great. But then when you can't get something right this second figured out, you start to get down on yourself. Well, three moments ago, you were just glorifying yourself, how great you've become at something. Two moments ago, you just got frustrated because you couldn't figure it out. And in this moment, you're going, man, when will I ever learn? Well, stop. Look back to that third moment and realize how long that took you to become as proficient as you are with with yourself with your job with your family with your faith um, with your finances with your physical mental spiritual whatever fitness health you know all that it takes time and if if you're willing to put in the work, you're going to be surprised because something I like to reiterate to people is you're worth it, man. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely worth it. It doesn't matter what it is, but you are worth it. If you're still here, you are worth it. Um, and you had mentioned the whole thing about partners and, and two is one and one is none. And I am going to just go off like way out in left field. Do you guys have left field? Um, I don't know. And- we got a lot of fields here, but I'll go left field. No problem. Actually, there's a roomy poem that talks about a field. Just saying. Oh, huh. and- little plug there. Roomy, mm-hmm. roomy, you know, right. Um but okay, so going back to questions and everything, man, yep. is when when I was when I was a child, I, I was I was having a talk with my father, and I was questioning faith and this whole Garden of Eden thing, right? You know, where mm-hmm. there there were two people in there, and that's where sin and you know all this stuff. And I said, that's great. I don't really care. I got a question though. They always say, you know, or my understanding was, is that like nobody will lay eyes on the Garden of Eden, you know, and this and that, or they're going to be, you know, they're just going to disappear. They're going to cease to exist. So being in, you know, studying the field of archaeology and everything, I'm sure you know about like Constantinople, right? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And then everything broke up and we became oh so different and stuff, right? Because, well, we were either closer to the sun or we weren't. So you pasty and white like the Irish and me, or you live in the Middle East and you got a little more of a tan. Wow, we're so different because we have different stop. But through that breaking up and kind of looking at the geographical locations and and where the divisions are um, in the Earth's structure. Uh, are you familiar with the Bermuda Triangle or some of the tales from the Bermuda Triangle? Yep. So you can have some ships, some planes, whatever, you know, if you got one of those triathlon people, they're trying to swim through it and everything. And some people go through the same path and nothing happens they come out the other side and they're like i just went right over those same those same coordinates like that this other like oil tanker just disappeared yeah and what what i post and i i think you know where i'm going with this is is it, is it possible even though everything's possible that the garden of eden is actually in the bermuda triangle and people actually get close enough to visualize it and then poof they're gone because that magic dude up there with the beards like oh no nope, told you should have stayed away is that a possibility you well, can go ahead and say yes and we can move on everything no. is possible is it probable is a question i've not heard this theory before that's because i came up with it and i don't well, share it with so I, I would have some questions about that. So if if let's say the Garden of Eden is in the Bermuda Triangle, some now under underwater, then how did the writers of the Hebrew Testament get access to that story when the Bermuda Triangle is really far away from Israel Palestine? That uh, they, See, that's an intellectual question. That's not a spiritual question, right? Fall on that. They just jumped on one of the car carnival. Uh, cruise line things and they just happen to you know be sailing out there way back in the day you know and uh yeah no that doesn't work for you does it Tank. you know caesarea philippi wasn't is an ancient uh, port city that you know anything anything could happen look i mean that I, I guess that so i'm going to i'm going to do what i've just suggested and i'm going to ask a question answer a question with a question huh? is the garden of eden even a place on earth for my story, it is. Okay. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, anything's possible. I d to be quite honest, I don't spend a lot of time in contemplation about the Garden of Eden. I, I spend more time in contemplation about the, the, the following. The Hebrew Testament starts off with in the beginning, right? And the, the Hebrew word for in the beginning is Bereshit. Right? Bereshit, in the beginning. After you devote yourself your prayer to paragraph and you read Jewish texts, you will realize that there's a chiastic structure that usually happens. And it usually starts with alphabetical order. Now, alphabet, alphabetical order and alphabet actually come from the Aleph Bet from Hebrew, right? So things start off with Aleph and go to Bet. So the book of Genesis starts off with B. Well, if it was in the beginning, according to Jewish study that starts off in alphabetical order, why didn't this start off with the letter A? That's my question. I spend a lot of time thinking about that question. Why does the Hebrew Testament start off with the letter B if it's in the beginning? To me, that doesn't make sense. And I think there's part of the story that, that we're missing here. 
I think I think we're missing some sacred writings and there's hints of this in sacred teachings. So my question to answer your question with a question is not is the Garden of Eden in the in the Bermuda Triangle. My question is why does Genesis start off with the letter B instead of A if it's in the beginning? Because we get the story about the Garden of Eden in Genesis in the beginning, the garden, right? I, I'm I'm going I'm going to spend some time dwelling on that. I mean, where is the Garden of Eden? It could be anywhere. Who can say? Who can and say where the Garden of Eden is? It even a world? And, and and the the reason, yes, I I when I bring that up to people, they're like, dude, I I don't have the brain power. It is too early in the morning to even think of something <laughs> like that. But my my point for asking you that is to get your response because like we had discussed earlier truth do you really practice this and the way that you just responded to it shows that you practice what you preach and that's very important because that is something that i do not know the answer to and you don't know the answer to either however you were still willing to think it through on a neutral basis, speak what's in your heart, what's in your head, and put out your thoughts on it. And as someone that's asking the question, am I asking the question to get affirmation for my thought? Or am I asking the question to better myself, my understanding of myself and the world the external world that i happen to be blessed enough to live in right now Um, and you know whether people think of the world like we were discussing earlier uh you know some people are like oh we're already in hell and once again questioning as as a young person and as a catholic um, and this is a little old school. I understand that they have kind of moved away from this train of thought a little bit, but I never really thought we were in hell. I was always pondering whether this, in fact, was purgatory. Because this is a place to atone for our sins and it goes into the thought process or 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 the the theory of like deja vu and and i know there are scientific clinical reasons for explaining deja vu and everything but like you have lived this before Mm -hmm. but that also goes back into let's say reincarnation and and all kinds of things once you start looking into the various religions various thought processes of spirituality not just organized religion and stuff but reincarnation or um deja vu or whatever Mm -hmm. are we is is there a possibility if you believe in purgatory that we may be in purgatory at this time to atone for our sins not so much through punishment but by bettering ourself our position within the world 
and being a better person. And we just don't realize that this is almost our test on a daily basis to get to uh, paradise or heaven or wherever your end purpose um, is. Is it a possibility that, and I, I say a possibility, yes, anything is possible. However, is it probable? Well, to me, you would need to first believe in purgatory for it to even be possible uh, as you were probable in your mind. Um, so that, you know, through thinking of that as a child, it, it, it recently, and I, this is a new journey for me. I mean, people are just like, dude, Chuck, you, man, you got your shit together, man. It's just, and I'm like, you have no idea how much I don't, man. It's just Same. that I am willing to do the work. Whatever Same. it takes, I'm willing to do the work. Same. Because I was blessed with 40 years on this earth. I may not be blessed with another four days. So even if I'm not blessed with another 40 years and it would have taken me 40 years to undo what I have personally done to myself, mm -hmm. at least I went out putting it into action and, and working toward it. And I'm good with that, you know, um, and, and, and that brings, you know, the purgatory thing up. Well, I think you raise. I think you raise a good question. I mean, you know, what is this existence? I mean, certainly in my Celtic Christian tradition understanding, you know, um, this is a place where we come to grow souls. Um, and I think, I think again, going back to the to the practice, you know, answering a question with a question. Well, what does reincarnation mean? Um, certainly, I mean, this is my intellectual, personal opinion. I'm giving now. You know, there are hints in, in, in the Christian Testament of um, reincarnation. There are hints of this, um, certainly about John the Baptist. I mean, they're either seeing a ghost or they think it's reincarnation because people are consistently asking um, if Jesus is the reincarnation or the ghost of, of John the Baptist. So there's certainly questions that arise around that. Um there are other little hints that if you look for them could possibly point to um, something like reincarnation or perhaps uh, Kant's eternal recurrence. I mean, are, you know, are we recycled souls? No, I don't, I don't know, but I certainly think that the purpose of us being on, on this planet is to grow our souls. Are we atoning for something whilst we're here I mean, that's a good a good question. Where is this purgatory? What is this concept of purgatory that the Catholic Church, uh, you know, speaks of? Is it a place of refinement? Are we here to be refined? I think that is the question. Um, my personal experience, my mother, before she died, um, had a near-death experience. And my mother was a Christian. And she told me she was um, dead for 20, 20 minutes. And um, she told me that when she died, she did have this near-death experience that was similar to other near-death experiences that people had shared where there was a tunnel, there was light. 
And she said that she saw uh, sparkles of light as she was going to the light. And she felt that when, that when we died, we went into that light, into the oneness with God and that we were born, we take aspects of that light with us. So kind of a collective memory of sorts. So, uh, you know, it's hard to, to reconcile my biblical understanding with my mother's experience who she didn't share that with anyone but me. So, you know, those, those are big questions, but certainly some of the gospels do hint that there was certainly a belief at that time of reincarnation. And again, the question becomes, you know, what is purgatory? I mean, I, I, I don't want to diss the Catholic church in, in any regards because I went to a lot of Roman Catholic church and I've got a lot of friends who are Catholic priests and they used to call me the runaway Catholic. Sure. But, um, you know, um, you know, some, some of the doctrines, you know, I mean, the doctrine of discovery, I mean, which has been used to hurt indigenous peoples all over the world. You know, some of these concepts, where do they come from? So, for instance, here's a question for you as a person who grew up Catholic. When I say the Immaculate Conception, what comes to your mind? Um, Mary. Um, well, you really want to know what comes to my mind? Yeah. How the hell did that happen? Because I know what conception is. And, uh, well, I like to think a lot of myself, but it's never been immaculate. Let's right. just put it that way. Yep. It, to, on a serious note, though, is I have no clue. I, you know, I, I was it just miracle there? Was it a, a belief of this? Was it a trick? What, what was I? So when, so when you say Mary, do you, do you, for you, does the Immaculate Conception point to Jesus' conception through Mary? So, so when, when I say Immaculate Conception, do you mean Jesus' conception in, in Mary? Yes, that, that is the first and foremost thing that, that pops in my head, yes. What if I told you that that's actually not what the Immaculate Conception is at all? I would tend to believe you due to my ignorance of the situation, no, and then no, no, I would no. do my homework to... Right. So this, this goes back to the concept of purgatory, right? This is a concept that became doctrine, right? The Immaculate Conception has got nothing to do with Jesus' conception. It's got to do with Mary's conception. The immaculate conception refers to the conception of Mary and her parents. So her parents, when they procreated with Mary, had an immaculate conception of Mary. You did on her dad. No, but um, yeah. Right? Are you serious? Serious. Wow. Right. So the immaculate conception has got nothing to do with the virgin birth. Nothing to do with the virgin birth. Got nothing to do with Mary being a virgin. And I could go, that's a whole other episode just on the virgin birth, right? By the way, well, there, were two, there were two. There were two. Since you offered that, um, I, I'm going to take that. that no uh, are you serious? You, you, can, you come back for another episode? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or like 20? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no problem. But speaking of virgin birth, there were two uh, eagles in America that have produced offspring without any male DNA. This just was in the news this morning. No joke. No joke. A rare form of eagle 
just produced offspring without any male, any male DNA considered the virgin birth. Right. Okay. Back, back to Mary, the immaculate conception, the immaculate conception does not refer to Jesus conception by the Holy spirit in Mary. The immaculate conception refers to Mary, Mary's conception with her parents who are not named in the Bible, but have traditionally been named Anna and Yochum. Why would Mary need to be conceived immaculately? Because in order for Jesus to be born without original sin, his mother would have to be born without original sin. Therefore, Mary's conception of herself was without any sin. This became a doctrine in the Catholic Church in the 19th century. This was not a doctrine. This was not even a concept in the Catholic Church, really, until the 19th century. I, I'm, I'm mistaken in the year. It could be 1854. I cannot recall. It could even be before that. I'm not good with dates. But in order for Jesus to be born without original sin, Mary also had to be born without original sin. Therefore, the, her conception of herself in her mother's womb was immaculate. So this goes back to the concept of purgatory. What is purgatory? Where did that idea come from? What was the reasoning behind it? it so it the, was the concepts of the immaculate conception came into being to answer the question, if Jesus is fully human and fully divine, and we've got this thing called original sin, how come Jesus doesn't have original sin? Well, therefore, his mother would have not had to have original sin. Well, why didn't she have original sin? Because her conception was immaculate, the only one in the whole world where she was conceived without original sin. And there's the whiffum. Like, wow. Thank you. These are the, these no, I don't, I, I, I'm not going to take your word as gospel. I'm going to go look that up. But uh, the way no, you don't just. Believe me. Don't believe right? me. Don't believe me. Don't believe anything I've said here today. Go find it out for yourself. Really. That, and I, and I, I don't take that personally. Question everything. Am I, you know, this could all be a dream that I've just made up in my head. Who can say? But my, that's what my studies show. And this goes down again to institutionalized religion. We're teaching things without explaining what they mean. 99.9% .9 of people, when I ask them that question, say, oh, it's the virgin birth. And I say, mm, no, it's not. What's that about? And this goes back to what you were saying about people, you know, eating what they're being fed. They don't question. They just take it. This goes back to the conversation we had about the bloke in my village about Darwin. He's not evolved in his understanding of, of these things. He's stuck in the moment of Darwinism. We don't question these things. How did this come to be? What is, what are the circumstances and what does it mean for me? What does it mean for the world? And through, through questioning, not only others, you know, and, and you're not doing it as a sign of disrespect. You're doing it as an action of growth for you through questioning everything and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to verbally ask a question but question yourself question an idea and learn about it you not only learn more about the external world you have a better chance of learning something about your internal world Absolutely. as well and and to me understanding your internal world, if you will, more of yourself only enables you 
to grow more as the true you. The true you, not what has been bastardized, what has been manipulated throughout the years through social construct, just like the idea of the Immaculate Conception or purgatory or anything, you know, even Sharia law and how that has just, you know, it, the Quran is not bad. For anybody that may think that the Quran in itself is teaches their followers to do bad things, I'm glad to tell you that you are sadly mistaken, and I would highly encourage you to go research it yourself Absolutely. because through ignorance... Our ignorance breeds a lot of problems externally as well as internally. Absolutely. And through educating yourself, you know, and, and this absolutely was a, a talk on spirituality, but we've hit so many different wickets in life that if you look back at it, you know, th this conversation, you, you, you might wonder like, well, what was the overall topic of this? And it wasn't anything outside of you. Learning who you are from the inside and where it kind of all breaks down to th the realization that we're all similar. We're all in this, you know, this world in a similar fashion. And when we break down those, those barriers in between, not so much us physically, but our mental thought processes, how similar things are. And really, how simple life is. Mm-hmm. We just tend to make it that much more difficult than we really need to. And I, I really think through that simplicity, um, we will find who we truly are and how we truly not need to live, but we want to live. If you need something then that's because you have to have it. But if you want something, I think that want comes from within you. And if you truly want to become the best version of yourself, then it takes a little bit of action, do a little bit of homework, you know, but all that just rolls into action. But compassion, empathy, understanding, being open-minded, being willing to absorb what, not necessarily what you think will better you, but allowing your mind to expand into other realms and allow for 
life to enter you. And through that life, you'll find your purpose. You'll find yourself. So um, we had mentioned about, you know, I, I asked if you'd be interested in coming back for, for, you know, another episode. And what I'd, what I think is awesome is, you know, you, you brought up the five P's and you even learned a sixth one there, ma'am. You know, there you learned something as well today. Yes, hey, you guys can go ahead and write, write in the comments down there about how awesome that sixth one was. Don't worry about the other five. But, um, no. um, but if you'd like to come back, you know, um, there are people that through their studies have just developed oh imagine that their own way and you have like you have your five p's some people have four f's it sounds like my childhood in school four f's um anyway like algebra now <laughs> yes exactly wow that's yeah but um you know really dive a little more into the five p's um what what they mean to you how you've applied them in your life, how they've helped you along your journey to who you presently are. Mm -hmm. And from now until then, the cool thing is with your continued growth, um, I, I really think that you may be able to bring even more to it on a personal level than you would today because i i have faith in you that you are going to continue to grow and i man i i would really appreciate that and i, I i'm pretty sure our listeners would too if, if we could just uh sit down and have a uh a little episode on the five p's and and Absolutely. really go into that so. Yeah, I, I would love that. And if there's room in the comments below, I'd love to hear some of the things that people have done already, like some of the spiritual practices that they've done already that have worked for them, that haven't worked for them, um, you know, or, or what prayer would, might look like um, for people who've, who've done it or are learning it. You know, what do they find challenging? But yes, absolutely. If I if any of this can be of help to anybody on their spiritual journey, I'm I'm happy to come back and and share whatever i can with others and thank you because i've learned something too and now you know there's an extra p that we can add there so thank you well and for people that may actually want to progress themselves in in this realm and and learn more and have really taken a liking to your approach to this um where are there ways that they can reach out to you directly i mean you don't have to give out your cell phone number here but um you know i, it, I are, are there a, places yeah yeah i do have a pretty lame twitter account um i'm not a big tweeter and my facebook i'm really i'm not on facebook so much um but i do i do have a twitter account um and uh, I, I do get a little edgy on there by times but it's um diva theologica d-i-v-a t-h-e l sorry i can't spell did i tell you that I, i'm dyslexic let me start again very cool very cool actually diva theologica d-i-v-a T-H-E-O-L-O-G-I-C-A. So it's Diva Theologica, which is a play on words for Aquinas Summa Theologica, who is, of course, a great Catholic theologian. So it's Diva Theologica. I'm on Twitter. I only have 28.7 followers. 
numbers don't mean anything to me. But if if people want to tweet me, I'm I'm happy to be tweetable, tweeted, tweet, twerted. What's the past tense of tweeted? I oh, yeah. Twer- twerted? twerted, twerted. I don't know. Is, is that where you twerk on Twitter? Or yeah, tweet? we are twerked Man. on Twitter. Wow. Okay, yeah. Now, now, now. Wow, I can't even talk. Twerking yeah. on Twitter, Twitter. Yeah. Okay, so you guys should have copied that down by now. And uh, yeah, I definitely hit her up. Um, also, you know, when, when when we first put this out, this goes over to our Patreon um, page where our patrons over there can absolutely comment down below. And then it will the, the next Monday after your debut um it'll be going out on our streaming platforms you know spotify apple we got places in india we, we've actually linked up with the company in india from africa i mean all, all kinds of stuff which which is super rad um to get that message out and then the third week it will go over to the youtubes um so Definitely, you guys reach out if you have any questions, thoughts, comments. I don't really care about your concerns. That's for you to be concerned about and put the work into. But, um, oh man, Shalom, this, this has been awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, you know, I think talking about this sort of thing is, again, it's a privilege. It's been lovely talking to you, and I've learned through you and this this space and uh, i'm just grateful to be here and whatever i can you know help to offer people i'm i'm happy to share i'm i'm still working on myself i'm not a perfect creature by any stretch of the imagination but now everyone's challenge is to go find out about the immaculate conception yes it's your challenge yes. <laughs> and I, I i tell you um uh, i hope i wasn't too annoying for a yank either not at all not at all no 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 that's another thing we could address another time if you wanted or for another episode or even i address you know our inherent biases i mean i'm canadian right inherently we're like oh americans you know when we're asked here in britain people say to me oh where are you from america and i'm like i'm canadian you know i don't like that response within myself I don't like that response within myself. I really don't. We, uh, uh, for, for the, yeah. And, and, you know, the thought processes and the stigmas that are put on other cultures and everything. And, you know, uh, on your next episode, I, we, uh, wound up having some mechanical problems on the plane we were on um coming back from a middle eastern company uh, company country and we had an entire company of united states marines that wound up in dublin ireland you know and then well yeah the pilots realized that it was dublin so why not have more engine problems and have a night in Dublin, right? Well, that actually turned into two nights because of parts. So they wound up, long story short, now I'll save this for the last one, but how we wound up escaping from the hotel we were in to get out in town and how we were definitely told you do not bring up that you are American. Do you understand? And this was actually by a uh, guy we found taking a leak um 
on the side of a homeless encampment. Great story, but we'll, we'll definitely uh, save that for later. But it really breaks down the barriers um, between people and the thought processes that we're so different. But uh, for day, uh, for today, you know, Shalom, I, I really, really genuinely appreciate you coming out and uh, sharing your story, speaking your truth, imparting some really awesome knowledge on all of us and you know it's something that i i usually like to leave with is reminding people that they are far more powerful than they realize and that they are worth far more than they know right now and that's simply because nothing exists without you so, Michelin, thank you so much. I very much appreciate you. Thank you. God bless and no stress. Yes, ma'am. And guys, care. until the next episode, appreciate you coming out and we'll talk soon. Cheers.